In 2012, a young electrical and electronics engineer was sat watching TV at his home in Tel Aviv when an advert for a new piece of technology appeared on the screen. In the advert, a kid was standing in front of his own TV, which was displaying a cartoon of a kung fu master. And it was telling the kid, let's have a fight. And the kid was like standing and like uh, and fighting in, in, in the air. And I got seriously excited about that. The advert was for an Xbox Connect, a range of motion sensors designed to allow people to play Microsoft's gaming console by moving their body rather than with a handheld controller. It uses infrared light to detect range and movement to detect, for example, a kick or a karate chop. It then feeds the information into whichever game is being played. That was a, a spark moment for me when I realized that 3D is something that is going to be uh, super interesting to take further. And I was trying to figure out how I might take that technology from something that works only in the living room. A dark environment, no more than two meters from the sensor. And make that available everywhere. And so he began to think of ways to solve it. But there was a problem. It was 2012. At that time, all everybody were focused was on how to develop technologies for mobile phones. You know, 2012, everybody were asking uh, what's going to be in the iPhone 3, iPhone 4. So, and, and that was very, I would say that, that set a very high bar on the size of the product and the price of the product. And I, and you know, my idea was for something that was relatively big to a, a phone. So the idea had to go back in the drawer and wait until the market could begin to get excited about a new kind of product. Four years passed and the tech world did indeed develop a new obsession driverless cars. Hello and welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Alex Konica. And I'm Velo Mitrovich. In this episode, we are speaking to Omer Kalaf, CEO of Innoviz, a manufacturer of high-performance LiDAR sensors and perception software for driverless cars and drones. Driverless cars have been promised for years, but a number of technological and regulatory hurdles have prevented the long-awaited end to the designated driver having to stick to soft drinks on a Friday night. There are five levels of autonomy for driverless cars, as set out by the US-based Society of Automotive Engineers. A good way to think about these levels is... Level 1, no automation whatsoever. Level 2, hands-on, shared control. Level 3, eyes off. And level 4 is known as mind off. The only limitations are determined by the supplier, which could mean closed environments, weather limitations, and certain types of routes. And finally, level 5 is true steering wheel optional in any situation. No limitations whatsoever. Or as Omer puts it, Everywhere to anywhere, like if the car picks up your kids, talks to your wife at night, reads story to the kids, and, and you don't need to do anything. As early as 2022, 
Level 3 cars are as good as it gets. That's the level that allows the driver to take his or her hands off the wheel and take their eyes off the road in certain situations. To get beyond this, safety is critical, and cars need to be able to assess and react to their surroundings with absolute certainty before regulators will allow these systems more freedom on the road. One of the best range-finding technologies we have at our disposal is LiDAR, but making this technology fit for market has taken a lot. It's taken an elite team of engineers who first met in a technology division of the Israel Defense Forces. It's taken years of careful work, and in return, it has given Omer more than a few white hairs. But before we get into all that, we need to understand more about LiDAR itself. A LiDAR is like a light radar, meaning that you have a laser scanner uh, that scans the scene rapidly and provides you in fine details a 3D picture or video, you would say, because it's done rep uh, in a certain frame rate of everything that is around you. The device targets objects around it with a laser and measures how long it takes for the reflected light to return giving an incredibly accurate picture of the physical world. Having a three-dimensional understanding of the scene around the car that updates many times per second provides the decision-making software with the best information possible, and this allows it to make good decisions. Knowing where things are, how far they are to each other, and, and actually understand uh, what, what they are. Traditional thinking in the industry is that you cannot have a single point of failure. So a LiDAR system is used to back up cameras, providing... That perfect uh, vision in, in situations where the camera fails. The problem with you know, LiDARs uh, for many years was that they were very, very big and very expensive to get to very high resolution. You need to use, you know, traditionally, the classical LiDARs would use hundreds of lasers, maybe tens of but hundreds of lasers, and that creates a very expensive device, very big and unreliable. So he needed to develop a LiDAR sensor that did not require many components, but still achieved the resolution needed reliably. He has a BSc and a Master's in Electrical and Electronic Engineering, which he says is essential for someone in his position. Dealing with such cutting-edge technology, he needs to be a technical guy. But he needed help. And he said the team he assembled felt like something out of the movie Ocean's Eleven. Where the best specialists on the planet were assembled for a mission. We brought like the, the best engineers in the different disciplines. Optics, mechanics, signal processing, computer vision, hardware, etc. Like we brought like the, the A-team. I mean, we were about 18 people after one month. And, and through the work of this team, uh, we did those iterations of design changes. Today we are 420 people. 30% of the team is from my unit. Omir's old unit from his military days. And he keeps bringing in more talent from there. Look, th this unit, which by the way was was secret uh, until uh, about a year and a half ago. I couldn't even tell you the name of the unit. Now it's now it's okay. It's uh, Unit 81. 
a spin-out from the larger intelligence unit 8200. 81 is like the technology unit, much better, but uh, also smaller. And this unit, they take only the, the best engineers out of school, like from high, like uh, after you finish your um, uh, first degree in the university. And then uh, after seven years there, where you go through the best school of product engineering, uh, we pick the, the best. So we, we, we very much enjoy that relationship. And the team approached this LiDAR problem by looking at the traditional equipment setup. So, you know, the, the traditional LiDARs would use tens of uh, lasers or hundreds and basically mount them one under the other and spin them in a 360 manner. And every laser would determine a certain line in which you will get the, the laser would scan only in that line and and the resolution the vertical resolution is very you know linearly connected to the number of uh, components just like the resolution rating for your television the more lines the higher the resolution this is where the expense of the lidar comes in so in order to break that that kind of uh, connection we use a different method in which we have a laser that is fixed, it's not moving, and it's pointing into a chip, which is called a MEMS chip. A microelectromechanical systems chip. This is a small silicon chip coated with silver or gold, depending on the wavelength of the laser in use. And, and that silicon can move you know, very fast in a 2D manner, a 2-axis manner which allows them to redirect the light, saving the need to move the laser emitter itself. That obviously is, needs to carry much w uh, less weight, right? And, and if you, you do that fast enough, and if the mirror can move in a 2D axis in a linear m manner, I mean, it's not without steps, theoretically, you can actually meet any resolution you want because you can bend the light in any direction and you don't need multiples of lasers to, to reach to any uh, resolution, like line, right? I mean, imagine a, a scanner that moves in a, in, a, in a raster manner, like the old television sets. And the tighter you can get those scan lines uh, and faster scan lines, you can get to higher resolution. And since this mirror is really small, a very fast scan is possible and Innovis had their breakthrough. So in the, in the first uh, generation product, we have compared with, we have 256 lines, okay? And, and, and comparing that with uh, the best-in-class sliders that were available five years ago, there were only 64 lines in a frame. Uh, our LiDAR uh, reaches 256. Uh, our new LiDAR reaches 800. So this is the, the second generation now that uh, we are introducing. So that one will have already 800. And then we are also working on a new version that will have above 1,000. So if you think about comparing that with HD cameras, which, you know, HD is like 720, right? It's higher than a, an HD camera, but in a, in a cost that is dr dramatically lower uh, than those, you know, big liners. To understand the real-world relevance of the resolution numbers, it's best to look at the requirements of the autonomous systems. 
A safe driverless car is one that can react in sufficient time to stop the car safely. If the car drives at 80 miles per hour, the minimum braking distance is about 120 meters. That is without any thinking time on human timescales, which is easy enough for a car. And in reality, you would also build in a buffer so that the car is not pushing at the limits of the brakes. Now, anything that is taller than about 10 centimeter or 14 centimeter is actually a damaging object to the car because the the suspension length of the of the wheel it has a certain you know it's actually limited if you try to drive over a step uh, it will cause a damage to the car and very un like could actually hurt the person inside so if you take that height uh, and you want to be able to detect that at at a, at a distance of 120 or 150 meters you can do the geometrical calculations on that and you realize that the, the optical resolution it's it's a it's kind of like a 0 0.05 or even lower or higher re resolution now try to imagine that you need also to see a certain field of view vertical field of view in front of you that needs to see the ground and needs to see un like underdrivable like uh, you know uh, things that stand out from trucks that you don't want to be too close to it you get to a certain field of view vertically of about let's say 30 degree or 40 degrees now if you take uh, that resolution which i mentioned earlier you realize that the number of lines that you need to have in the field of view is quite high right so you don't need really that resolution across the entire vertical field of view but at least 10 degrees uh, where, uh, you know, for very long range, obviously the view is, is more limited. Only by that you get to around, uh, you know, 100 or 200 lines, uh, 200 lines, sorry. And, and that, you know, without the rest of the field of view. So uh, there, there are many trade-offs. Omer has written a white paper for anyone interested in a deep dive on how LiDAR can meet autonomous level three requirements. It's available on the Innovis website, which is linked in our show notes. So I, I go through there in quite uh, details on, you know, why you need a certain field of view, why you need a certain resolution, frame rate, horizontal field of view, range. Eventually, th those are, you know, translated from real life use cases that safety engineers take into account when driving a car. And it's quite easy and straightforward to translate them back to kind of resolution, range, frame rate. Frame rate is, is reaction time, right? Resolution is the small object and an ability to do uh, classification. Vertical field of view is to be able to do road recognition, underdrivable, et cetera. Horizontal field of view is, is related to cutting scenarios. So it's a bundle of use cases that all drivers experience on a day-to-day -day basis, sticking within a margin of safety to make a decision based on the mechanical requirements of the vehicle and what people would deem acceptable. Other sensors that are taking into account, cleaning system requirements, industrial design of the car is one of the things that has a huge impact on the design of the sensor because it needs to stand in a certain height, location, size, aspect ratio. You can't imagine how much of the design 
is related to asks that come from the design of the car. The visual window of the, uh, of the, of the sensor, the angle of the window, the cleaning system, those add a lot of, uh, I would say, uh, constraints and requirements of the sensor. And it comes together with, you know, all of the other requirements of vision capabilities, cost, reliability, you know, temperatures, etc. The company has two serious production deals. It's been working with BMW on its first generation for five years now and is working on its second generation. It is also working with another as yet undisclosed German company on a shuttle bus that will be level four classified. And Omer is very excited about the public transport use cases as well. Because I think it's, it's, it's much more simple than, you know, going on a highway. You need, you can drive quite slowly. It gives a lot of value, even if it drives slow. But there have been challenges along the way. And one thing in particular that Omer didn't appreciate at the beginning of his work on LiDAR. When I started in 2016, my understanding of the problem was based on what I was able to see in the market at that time, which was uh, a sensor with uh, 64 lines, 80 meters range, but cost like $50,000 and very, very big and unreliable. And all anyone was talking about was the prohibitive cost and size. And I thought my challenge would be to do the same, uh, but at a small form factor and, and chip. And and when I start, when I, after I started, you know, and I actually had access to talk with real customers in automotive, I, I learned that the, the, the actual gap is much bigger. So it's like 80 meters, not enough. They want 200 meters or 250 meters half a degree resolution is not enough. They want like 10 times bigger than, better than that. And reflectivity at uh, 200 meters, not 80%, it's like 10%. So Omer learned that the gap between capability and requirement was a factor of about 1,000. And you can imagine that was uh, a very unpleasant surprise uh, when I started and I thought that my, <laughs> the, the, the technical gap is somewhere simple and you know, that's where like an entrepreneur is actually measured that you you know you you know you're now facing a problem that is 1000 times bigger and you can make a decision like okay i just started and maybe it's okay that you know maybe it's impossible and i i got it wrong and and i you know i could decide to stop like like 1000 times the gap is huge he says that the key to overcoming any gulf in capability, if it can be done at all, is to examine your assumptions. Do not try to fix the problem with existing components or thinking. Start by thinking what the optimum would look like, what would the best components look like, then let the imagination run wild. But with all seriousness, I was very committed to make this happen. I was, uh, I, I'm coming from a family where my older sister was uh, in a very serious accident when I was younger. And I completely familiar uh, with the hurdles of um, car accidents. And I was not even personally involved in the car accident, but my life completely changed only through the fact that my older sister was in an accident. This accident gave him the drive to improve the automotive sector, and his network of engineers gave him the confidence to succeed. It was very clear to me that 
coming from uh, my unit and uh, and you know the level of engineers that I was able to bring into my team, I was pretty sure that if my team eventually would not be able to solve it, then no one will really like I was I took the, the like decided to take the role of if if we decide it's impossible, then it's impossible. And that would be very bad for humanity. Engineering Matters is a production of Rebe Media. This episode was written and hosted by me, Alex Konica. My co-host was Velo Mitrovic. Sound engineering by Ross McPherson. Series supervision by John Young. And our own all-seeing eye is Rory Harris. Thank you for listening. You can find Engineering Matters on all podcast apps, on Facebook, on Twitter, and on LinkedIn. And don't forget to check out our website and sign up to our newsletter for the latest engineering announcements and developments from around the world.